Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to the first installment in my Die Hard movie review series. Today I am reviewing Die Hard. This is your co-host Corbin. And if you missed last week, last week I reviewed Cobra Kai season 4, and the week before that I reviewed Neil Blomkamp's fourth film, Demonic. It was a weird one, to say the least. You're not going to want to miss those reviews. And of course, moving forward, I'm going to be reviewing all of the Die Hard movies. We also have Alan's birthday pick coming up, and my birthday pick as well. So we've got some great stuff coming to the channel you're not going to want to miss. So go ahead and click subscribe right now. We do have timestamps in the description below if you're ready to just jump straight into the review. Lots of other great stuff down there you're not going to want to miss. Um, and make sure to uh, follow me and Alan on Letterboxd so you can see what we're watching every week. And no matter where you're at, go ahead and leave us five stars and even a short written review if you like. That really does help us out here at Silver Screen Guide. So Die Hard it comes out in 1988. If you want to know more about the making of Die Hard, the reception, it was nominated for four Oscars. Um, there's a lot to the making of this movie, how we almost had Frank Sinatra instead of Bruce Willis in this role. All of that is in Your Guide to Die Hard, which came out last Thursday. So go ahead, check out Your Guide to Die Hard. Um, contains a lot of great information to prepare you going forward into this movie. But it's the summer of 88. Not a lot of great movies came out in cinema that year. But nevertheless, would the trailer get me? into theaters opening weekend. And I gotta say, the trailer is really fun. It really does get me in the spirit of a thrilling action movie. So yes, I think this is a good trailer. I would be there opening weekend, especially it makes it fun because it's Christmas in July. This is a Christmas movie. They're releasing it at the end of July, July 20th. And that's just kind of a fun sentiment. And it's something new that would definitely catch my eye. So this actually isn't the first time that I've seen Die Hard. I saw it with my cousin, and my sister, and maybe my cousin's sister as well, um, she might have joined us towards the end of the movie. We saw this many, many years ago. My cousin really enjoyed the movie, but he um, was going through the franchise. He's a few years older than me. I think we were running out of time to finish it. So he had to skip over a few action scenes. So by the time we get to the end, I'm kind of confused. Um, this is an R-rated movie, so I probably was kind of watching this without my parents' permission, and I'm sure my sister was too, so there was some, there's, in my mind, a lot of F-words, not really compared to today, that word has become so mainstream in pretty much everything that we watch. Back then, it was a lot, um, there is some nudity as well, so he was hitting that skip button frequently, and I just remember seeing this kind of chopped up version of the movie, and I thought, what's the big deal? So we're going to talk about today whether my feelings have changed or not. But without further ado, if you haven't seen Die Hard and you don't want the film spoiled for you, as of the time of this recording, it is streaming for free on Peacock. You can get a free subscription, watch the movie for free over there. 
This is a very simple plot. It is essentially Rambo in an office building. And if you're curious about our thoughts on the Rambo series, we reviewed all of those as well. I'll link to all of our Rambo reviews down below. But yeah, basically these bad guys take over an office party where his you know wife is having a Christmas party. He flies in because um, they're estranged from each other and he gets separated and he gets to take them out one by one. So that's one of my first positives right off the bat is I really like these 80s, you know, early 90s action movies. They don't really make them like this anymore where there's this intensity to it, but also this kind of carefree attitude where you're just going to the movie theater to escape. You get to put yourself in our hero's shoes and you get to have a great time relating to these emotions. And while they are somewhat simple and this isn't a deep movie by any stretch of the imagination nevertheless taps into those thrills into even some of those primal instincts of you know wanting to you know good triumph over evil wanting to protect your loved ones and at the same time they infuse comedy into this that's one of the things i really liked as well is a kind of lace humor throughout both of the fbi agents are named agents robinson um, one's black, one's white, one, you know, one's Italian and they're like, yeah, no relation, but it's funny that they wrote that in there. Um, also the news anchor thinks Helsinki is in Sweden, but it's actually in Finland. Um, uh, there's a number of other jokes as well throughout this. So really fun to see that. And of course, Bruce Willis brings a brevity to the role that I I'm struggling to think who else at the time really could have done that. I don't think anybody else really could. Um, you know, there is some fun one-liners in here that Arnold probably could have pulled off, a la Commando. See the movie Commando. If you haven't, we've reviewed that one as well. Um, but nevertheless, going back probably towards the beginning of the movie, the California sunset, like especially the lighting in this movie, kind of gives me some Blade Runner vibes in the beginning. It really does set the mood, how it's sunset, it's growing dark, you know, the day is winding down. When in fact, everything is just getting ready to ramp up. Um, there's also a really good introduction, you know, here between the somewhat estranged spouses, Willis and um, Bonnie Bedelia play very nicely off each other in this movie. They don't share a lot of screen time, but what they do really does set up this strong connection between them, but it's strained. So I appreciate that they take some time in the beginning to make us care for these characters and want to see them win in the end. Now, Alan Rickman, many of you know him as Snape in the Harry Potter series, is a great screen presence. And believe it or not, as I said in your guide last week, this is his first feature film. He had done some TV before, but this is his first time on film as a bad guy. You know, he was already 40 years old at this point, so he broke into film later in life. He was a stage actor before, but he just is a great villain. And they couldn't have picked anyone better, honestly. He has this, you know, calm and collected, but really sneering presence about him. Um, if you've seen Harry Potter, you'll have a lot of fun seeing him as a bad guy in this. They also do play with the mystery a lot in the first half of this movie, or I should say the first act. Why does bad guys want to take over the tower? It's just a tower that's, you know, not even fully constructed yet. Well, the answer is, is that the, you know, owner of the place has tons of money. And like, I don't even remember how much money it was, but 
an astronomical amount, especially for 1988, plus some highly valuable artifacts. And they're staging it kind of like a terror attack. And they're really throwing the FBI off. They're going to bomb the whole top of the tower with everybody there. Uh, it, it's a very smart plot when it comes down to, you know, these bad guys playing cat and mouse. And that's something that um, D'Souza did, who came in and rewrote um, parts of the screenplay and really placed it as the bad guy's point of view for part of it. So I think that's a unique thing where oftentimes we don't really get that. We, beforehand, I should say. Now, following this, other movies did play more with giving the bad guy a stronger motivation. One of the things that I think a lot of, you know, movie enthusiasts will appreciate is why they set up him being barefoot throughout the whole movie in the beginning when he's getting off the plane his you know passenger friend says take your shoes off curl your feet and you'll feel great after a long flight well this leads to a major problem because he's barefoot for the rest of the movie which means his feet get cut up really bad so nevertheless they do a really good job kind of like this and back to the future is another example of setting things up in the first act and making sure it pays off throughout the rest of the film one of the other really strong highlights is John McTiernan is here directing. I, once I saw his name, I forgot he directed it. I knew we were in for something really action-packed because he had previously done Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger the year before. And um, just the way he shoots the action scenes is really compelling. I mean, even when John is on top of the elevator and the elevator is, you know, going up and he's standing on top of it, just the way it's shot is really intense. So honestly, I credit a lot of this to John McTiernan's direction, strong direction. So I was really happy to see him here. One of my last positives is, you know, there is a there is a very good pacing. I want to throw that in here real quick. There is a strong pacing, even though this movie is roughly two hours. With credits, it's over two hours. But nevertheless, they do a good job pacing, and they do a good job of achieving somewhat plausible circumstances because I, I knew some things were going to happen towards the end of the movie, and I thought, okay, how is he going to get here? And, like, he uses office supplies to duct tape a gun to his back. Um, that seems really difficult, but he did it really well. And, it, I mean, it's just fun. It's plausible. I appreciate that. But there is a cool twist where the bad guy tricks our hero into thinking he's a party goer at the office just trying to escape. So Alan Rickman changes his accent from a German accent to an American accent. And um, of course, Bruce Willis is on to him. McLean is on to him the whole time. But nevertheless, that was a twist I didn't see coming where I thought he was like, oh, hey, I gotcha. But they haven't seen each other. They have no idea what each other looks like. And of course, if he changes his voice, which Alan Rickman's voice is pretty distinguishable, but nevertheless, if he changes his voice, then he does have the ability to possibly get the drop on him. So that was a neat way of, you know, switching things up there. Now, there are some plot elements that don't quite pay off or make sense. Argyle is somewhat of a useless character. I knew they, since they set him up to stick around in the parking garage, which is somewhat implausible that this kid just wants to listen to music and drink alcohol and with a bear in the back of a limo by himself for many, many hours. That's hard to believe, but he does save the day. He does ram the van. Um, ultimately, that really doesn't do much for the plot, but nevertheless, that seemed to be somewhat of a rewrite towards the end um, because he just rams the van and it knocks this guy out and 
all's well that ends well, except, you know, he gets to come and give him a hug in the end. My wife and I also noticed that towards the end, once the wife becomes a hostage, her blouse starts coming open uh, more and more with each scene. Um, probably a deleted scene we don't have access to. Probably the bad guy is trying to humiliate her or threaten her somehow. Um, there's definitely something missing there. It's kind of weird. Um, also, I think one of the biggest surprises at the end, it's supposed to be a surprise, but I think it's more of a stinker, is when the bad guy that he essentially hangs from a chain suspended high in the air if that guy fell he'd probably break his legs even if he did survive if it was firefighters that got him down how did he smuggle his gun with him all the way down hide under a blanket it really comes out of left field it feels like something that more so belongs in the scream franchise than here in die hard uh, which i'm sure scream probably took some inspiration from that as well. Nevertheless, it, it was kind of um, an unnecessary thrill at the end, I would say. Now, the sound effects for this movie are bad. They're, they're just bad, which I know is shocking considering this movie was nominated for best sound and like best sound effects editing or something. So clearly the Oscars at the time, for the time, this was great. This was above the standard. Um, today, it doesn't hold up. They're not good. Um, now granted, I didn't listen to this in like Dolby Atmos or something. So maybe they've, they've cleaned it up. Um, also the chief of police is an idiot. I know Roger Ebert in his review, I, I saw this afterwards had an issue with this chief of police. It is an unnecessary hindrance that doesn't have any impact on the plot whatsoever, except to give, um, Vel Johnson's character on the ground, somewhat of his own antagonist to play off of. It's fairly dumb and it could be written out without any consequence. So I would say that's probably the worst part of the movie. It's unnecessary and over the top aggressive with this character. Um, it's, it's not good. Die Hard took me by surprise with just my memories of seeing the movie with my cousin who I'm pretty sure skipped ahead to the end because I had to go, I didn't have a positive impression of the movie. In fact, I thought, what's the big deal? Without looking at the scores beforehand, save for the super high Rotten Tomato scores listed on the Peacock page, I didn't have much expectations. I'm happy to say my wife and I were pleasantly surprised. We had a blast with this movie. With just the right balance between comedy, thrills, twists, and loads of action, Die Hard truly is one of the greatest action films of all time, and a unique Christmas film to boot. Die Hard receives 8 stars out of 10, with a strong recommend. So I think it should come as no surprise, listeners, that I would pick this one up. There's no way I would pass on this movie. I would definitely pick this one up and add it to my collection. So other movie recommendations I have for you after you watch Die Hard. I'm going to go back a ways. I'm going to go back to the desperate hours. What if there isn't a John McClane? And what if it's in a more personal setting? What if it's in your home? Um, desperate Hours starring Humphrey Bogart. Alan and I actually have reviewed that one and some other Bogart films as well. I'll link to that. That is a great one. All right. This one is more for the family. Okay. So don't, you know, criticize me too strong, but Paul Blart Mall Cop is 100% a diehard ripoff, but nevertheless, I think it's a fun, easy way for the family. Like, you really probably wouldn't watch Die Hard with a young family, at least I hope not. But nevertheless, Mall Cop might satisfy your itch if you're itching to watch that. Um, Air Force One. 
Alan and I reviewed this one. Neither of us had seen Die Hard in recent memory. I forgot how Air Force One is essentially a Die Hard ripoff. So now after I've seen Die Hard, I'm realizing that it really did spawn tons and tons and tons of imitators with the formula for the film and even with certain action sequences as well. Air Force One is still a blast. The Wolfgang Peterson film. Definitely check that one out and check out our review for that as well. It should come as no surprise that Die Hard 2 was rushed into production and came out just 17 days shy of two years. So audiences really didn't have to wait long for, they, they just had to wait two more summers. It wasn't the next July, but the July after, and it even came earlier in July that they got to check out Die Hard 2 with McLean and a lot of the returning cast. So listeners, from this point on, I have not seen Die Hard 2. I've not seen Die Hard 3. I saw glimpses of Live Free or Die Hard with my cousin once again, who skipped most of the movie. And then I did actually go see A Good Day to Die Hard with my dad in the IMAX. So that's going to be a whole story in and of itself here in a few weeks. So if, you, if you're not subscribed already, you're going to want to subscribe because you're not going to want to miss that story. Well, listeners, the question after the show is, is Die Hard the best action movie of all time? I'm probably going to say no, but I'm going to say it's pretty close. It's pretty darn close. And of course, I have to ask, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I've heard this question so often, I've never really been able to answer it until now. Yeah, Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie, and this is one... I'm going to be returning to this Christmas. I'm looking forward to it. Well, listeners, thank you for coming along with me on my review of Die Hard. Make sure to stay tuned to the podcast because I will be reviewing Die Hard 2 next week. Make sure to share with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. We'll see you next week with Die Hard 2. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide.
Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. We also have a surprise podcast. We've got Alan's birthday pick. It's not really a surprise (laughs) because we do it every year.